Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I am currently between jobs, so we thought that we would use the extra time to whip out an episode about a multi-movie franchise while we've got the time we really dug deep and exhumed a classic jim i'm running out of puns here so why don't you tell these explorers what we unearthed and what we're tipping our hats to because they definitely didn't read the title already (laughs) we're talking about indiana jones the character and the four current movies Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's start off. Uh, what what did you, what do you think about Indiana Jones in general to start with? Before we go movie to movie, he's one of the most iconic characters for me from my childhood. I mean, when this film franchise started, I was ten years old because the Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in nineteen eighty one. So for me, I was already enamored with Harrison Ford for his role as Han Solo, and at that point, the first two Star Wars movies. So I saw him and I was excited to see a movie franchise where he got to be the star. And I just loved the movies from the very beginning. Was it because it's the same character? Han Solo and Indiana Jones are very similar to each other. So, yeah, there is not a a lot of difference there. But I really like Han Solo is a great performer, maybe not necessarily a great actor, but. He can work the screen, for lack of a better term. You said that perfectly. That's a previous episode. I talk about how I don't think that Harrison Ford is a great actor, and that's a, he is a great performer, though. He really is. He 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 really holds your attention. He delivers lines well. He expresses well. He just only really has one set of things that he does well. He doesn't really, at least not that I've seen, doesn't really go outside of that. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of dramatic range as an actor, but he has personality and charisma, and he can definitely parry scenes. So having him be the star of this franchise was obviously pretty easy for him to do. It was earlier on in his career, and he Mm -hmm. would obviously go on to do other roles. But when I think of Harrison Ford, I think of Han Han Solo and... Indiana Jones and so all right, Lando. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I same here. And Indiana Jones, like you said, iconic character, and, and it really is a great. It's a brilliant character. Yes, and, and not just because the character himself is brilliant, but just the concept is, is great. Having an action star that's also incredibly smart, I think it, it sets up for children to have somebody to look up to and aspire to because it, it's like, oh, that, that would be fun. Maybe I want to be an archaeologist and start getting into cool stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. It is the most of the time you see an action star. It's for the physicality, the fighting, the more, uh, I guess, masculine or traditionally masculine elements of the character. You don't usually see the intelligence. Mm-hmm. But obviously, as a college professor, someone who speaks multiple languages and is very learned, Combining that with the adventurousness mm-hmm. makes the character even more interesting and more as a nerdy kid. I really like that book smart guy who is also a swashbuckling adventurer. Right, right, exactly. I'm pretty sure you just verbally punch Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone at the same time. <laughs> 
Well, they wouldn't be hurt by me punching them in any way, so that's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure all of their money will just shield them and heal them from uh, any damage you might have done there. So I guess from here, do you just want to go through kind of movie by movie and, and what we thought about each movie? Yeah, that works for me. And then we can come back around in a sort of a summaration. A summaration? That's not even a word. <laughs> It is now. Summarization. <laughs> We're going to do a summarization or summarization of summarizations at the end. But yes, let's start Sometime off. Sometime the summer if you don't stop. <laughs> I think we should start with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Why? Because it's the first, it's the first one. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> All right. So Raiders of the Lost Ark. I guess I'm going to kind of go say I, I did also watch these movies as a kid, but similar to Star Wars because the first one came out before I was born. The year before I was born. The second one came out when I was two. So, yeah, I saw these, but I saw them on TV and reruns. And, of course, the ones that I saw the most was when they were playing the most, which was actually Temple of Doom. So, as a kid, I liked Temple of Doom the most. I didn't really get to see Lost Ark all that much. I don't know why. Um, but I didn't really see it that much as a kid. So, I've only actually had seen it maybe once or twice before this in my whole life. So... I guess also as kind of a, a forethought too. I, I've known that I should go back and rewatch these movies for a long time. So probably about six or seven years ago, I bought the box set, and we decided to do this. And I pulled it out, and I hadn't even opened the package yet. So that, that's kind of an insight as to uh, how excited I've been about watching these movies. I feel like I should be more excited, but I just really wasn't. So Lost Ark. Before we dive right into the movie, just to add to what you just said. Sometimes I think this is somewhat similar to what I've said about Star Wars in the past, that the original trilogy, I could never love other movies the same way that I love those movies, all the way that they stick with me so much is because they were around in a formative time of my childhood and early adolescence. Mm -hmm. And like I had said, the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, was the first movie I had ever seen in a movie theater. So I saw the first two of these movies. Well, actually, I saw all of these movies in the movie theater, but the first two movies... I was you know, still a young kid. I think I was 13 when Temple of Doom came out. So this was back, you know, going to the movies back when I was a young kid, going to the theater was important. And that's where you saw stuff. So I, because I remember going and seeing these movies, especially Raiders of the Lost Ark, multiple times in the theater, I think that's probably why I like the movie, the character, and the franchise more. Because as we'll go through our discussion there are definitely things that if there were movies made today that did some of the things that these movies do, I would mercilessly rip the movies apart for it. So did you actually see them in an actual theater or was it a Nickelodeon? No, an actual theater. All not right. that old. Just thought I'd, I'd, I'd check. <laughs> so why, why don't you go ahead and start us off talk about The Lost Ark. Well, the, thing, the funny thing is, I mean, I've, I've seen the movie so many times, but the funny thing that popped into my head as I was watching it George Lucas, John Williams, Lars Kasdan, Steven Spielberg. Is this Star Wars? <laughs> I, I kind of had that thought, too. And then later when Crystal Skull came up, I was like, Kathleen Kennedy? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of people think of Lucasfilm and they think of Star Wars as the major franchise that it hit, ran. But obviously, Indiana Jones was its other major franchise at that time. So a lot of the same people from a creative standpoint who worked on And then obviously Han Solo. Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford. So a lot. it's hard not to think a little bit about the Star Wars influence and the fact that it feels, maybe that's why it felt similar to me. It's like, hey, my friends made another movie. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> but whenever I think of a swashbuckling adventure, 
I think of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know if it created the genre. I'm sure going back before that, there were movies that, obviously, there were movies that would fit into that category. But that's where I, from my knowledge or history with that genre, if that's even a genre, the adventure genre, I guess, is that what that would, this would fit into? Sure. I think of this movie. That's an action movie to me. An action but... movie. But yeah, a swashbuckling adventure action movie. Action is, adventure. Action adventure. Maybe that's a, the thing I'm trying to babble around. <laughs> um, I think of this movie as sort of the benchmark or, or the beginning point of the genre. I, I will give you beginning point. And so I, I actually watching this all these movies, I like them much less now than I did before. Because I've never really looked at them from an adult critical eye perspective before. So I don't know that I would give it benchmark. Yeah, defini- benchmark. Yeah, be- definitely benchmark. beginning point. Though. Beginning point, yeah. It's interesting you would say that. This was probably the first time that I've watched these movies with a critical eye. These are great entertainment for me that I just watch for the fun of watching them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for me having to take some critical notes, it was a little bit weird. Which is why I was saying, as I had said earlier, it's like if I was watching a newer movie for the first time, or if I had never seen these movies, I would be much more critical of them now. But the thing that I, as I was watching it is like, you know, these are more spectacle than believable and they're more ridiculous and goofy, but for whatever reason, it doesn't bother me. Like the things I just said would irritate me if it was something else, but they don't at all. When it comes to these movies, I don't know why. Probably because you had the connection as a kid. That's that's my explanation, I guess. Yeah, and that's yeah. I, but same thing. I'm watching these movies throughout all of these movies, just over and over. Really, really, that's what they're doing. So Lost Ark, it kind of started and it, it goes through the whole series. That actually, just the cliche characters. Like it's like yes. they're they're taking like caricatures of what you would think. But again, that that maybe that's product of the time. It could be a product at the time, but there's a lot of cliches, tropes, and caricatures where I, the thing that kept going through my mind is like, is this movie the source or one of the sources of the tropes that I complain about a lot? Because a lot of those things is like, it's like mm-hmm. maybe that stuff came from this. Because, yeah, there's a lot of things that we would consider cliche and tropey that maybe at the time weren't, but I don't right. remember. And just through the whole thing, there's a lot of things that really kind of poked at me. I'm like, physics don't work that way. That's, yes. that's not what would happen. Like, uh, we, we talked a little bit off mic about the whip and using the whip to swing across and like they show how it wraps around the object and it's like wraps around it once and he swings like there's no way it would hold that and just things like that and there's a scene where he's he's driving a truck and he's you know fighting people off the truck and it shows him slam on the brakes and the truck almost stops and then he slams on the gas and speeds up really fast but it was a manual and he never shifts I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's not really manual, but then later he shifts it. Okay, so it is a manual, and this, it doesn't make sense. And this that stuff just really brings me out of these movies, and it makes it difficult for me to just sit back and enjoy them because of those just minor details that, if I were making a movie, would be obvious to me that you got to pay attention to those. I agree. I, I, I've always been a big fan of the, it's not on the air anymore not in its original incarnation, but the Mythbuster television series. Over the course of its years, they did many episodes about, I think, most of the Indiana Jones movies. And they did test out a lot of the myths. Like, the, the use of the bullwhip is overly dramatic and not terribly realistic, as are lots of elements of the movies. 
but most of the stuff that they did with the bullwhip-related stuff with Mythbusters, it was at least plausible, but yeah, it it's not very realistic. Right, and I could see it working if like it wrapped around multiple times and like crisscrossed a couple of times where it would actually hold, mm-hmm. but then, like you said, in those episodes, they could never get it to come off when it actually worked, but he could just like swipe his wrist a little bit and it comes loose just fine. Absolutely ridiculous. Yes. So there's a lot of stuff like that. One of the underlying things that's a little bit silly about the movies, and not just this one, but all of them, is the the booby traps themselves on a lot of the archaeological sites are... It's silly that they still work after centuries, that they would still be functional. And the fact that they work the way... Or that they would even be as complex as they're shown in the movies, it's a little bit silly. But again, it's one of those movies where it's best not to think about these movies too much. Like you've said about previous movies, just sit back and enjoy the ride and don't think about it. (laughs) But in a lot of those movies, for me, if you stop to think about the details, and what I mean by details, like the story details, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of stuff that I'm like, just just sit back and relax. It, It doesn't, but when it's like physics details... That's when it bothers me. Like, you gotta, if, if you're supposedly making something that's supposed to be realistic, at least make it somewhat realistic. If you want me to buy that this Ark of the Covenant is a thing that exists and lets ghosts out that zap everybody with lasers, <laughs> but you can't shift a truck, come on, come on. One of the other things that, uh, no, I, I agree with that. And one of the other things that I unfortunately saw when I was rewatching this for the podcast is so many, not just Mythbusters, but so many other shows about Hollywood stunts and stuff like that have looked at this movie and have shown how they did some of the stunts. And when rewatching the movie, I actually saw some of the stuff that they saw. Like at one point when they make a truck flip over, Mm-hmm. I've seen the behind. They did it on MythBusters and other shows. They showed how they made that happen. There's like a, a pole that they stuck at the bottom of the truck that was pneumatically released, and that's how it flipped over. I actually saw the pole when I, oh, in that scene. Yeah. So I was like, so some of like the stunt craft I actually briefly saw on the screen because I've seen so many people take apart, not to criticize it, but to show oh, movie, yeah. Hollywood movie making tricks and then using this movie. In part as an example. Yeah, see, I've always been fascinated by stunt people, so I see that in every movie. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I think I might have been a stunt person if I was in that area to be able to do it, but I just don't want to move. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to what you were saying about storytelling, it's true of this and probably arguably true of all of the movies in the series. It's a well-constructed but simple story. You know, if you're looking for storytelling complexity or storytelling believability, yeah, it's a very simple, it's well constructed and well executed, but it's pretty simple. Yeah, the, the story is in the details of like the timeline of what happens. The story is in the putting the pieces together to follow the clues in a national treasure sort of way. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's that's to me actually what makes these movies watchable. Yes. I, I really like the action scenes, especially as a kid. I really like the action scenes. Mm-hmm. But there's action movies are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. I could watch John Wick at any point in time and get a whole movie of action scenes if that's what I want. But that little bit of extra thought and like, oh, that's kind of neat how they did that. Yeah, it's more cerebral than in your typical action scene. So that makes it more the action adventure. It makes it more interesting right. for me. 
But then something happens like Harrison Ford somehow gets from a ship to the submarine, the Nazi submarine, and climbs on top of it. Can't get inside of it, but somehow stays on that sub for a very long distance. They conveniently never submerge. Right. (laughs) But yet, it looks as if they submerge because he is soaking wet in the next scene. Yes. (sighs) So yeah, there are lots of things like that that you have to look past. But to the simple structure of this movie, like the opening sequence of this movie, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But the point of the opening sequence is to establish who he is as a character. Mm -hmm. That he is an archaeology professor who also goes running around the globe and we'll come back to the fact that he's a criminal later, but <laughs> that he goes on adventures when he's not teaching. And that basically establishes the sequence, as well as also giving the premise of establishing the he's an academic that they go to for advice on how to find the arc. So that whole opening bit to help establish this is who the character is and this is what mm-hmm. the movies are about. It's simple, but well constructed. So, OK, let's just go and do some fun stuff now. Right. One of the other tropes that is in this movie that <laughs> has been done in lots of other things. I don't know if it originated here, but the showing a map and a little plane. Oh, yeah. And then the line being drawn to show, hey, look, we're traveling across the world. You know, we're traveling across the world because there's a, a globe and we're drawing a red line on the screen. <laughs> I was thinking, lo- I just can't help but think Looney Tunes every time. <laughs> I mean, they do have some some location shots, but some of it obviously is just shot on stages and and Hollywood sets. But they try to give that sort of epic world traveling thing to it with the the globe picture and the lines. I will say uh, one of the best things in all these movies, but this one kind of brings it out, too, is they do a very good job of mixing in comedy with the action. Yes. And one of my favorite parts, actually, is the part where, like, after he just basically gets the crap beat out of him and he's getting treated by Marion and, you know, he's all sorts of smooth, you know, because he gotten shot and everything. He's trying to take his shirt off. He's like, ow, ow, everything hurts. And she's like, oh, come on. It's not that bad. You're not that old. He's like, it's not the years. It's the mileage. And I feel that every day. <laughs> um, I just really like that line. But then I like how he's like all smooth after that. And then, like, they start making out, and then he just falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I could actually see that. Again, going to realism, I could actually see that happening after everything he just went through. Yes. So, there's a lot of um, iconic scenes all throughout the movie. Uh, one of the iconic scenes that always makes me laugh when I see it, because I know the behind-the-scenes story, which probably everybody knows at this point, but there's an iconic scene where Indy is basically confronted by a large swordsman, and it looks like he's going to have to get into a sword fight, and he just pulls out his gun and shoots him instead. Mm -hmm. But the -the behind-the-scenes story, which most people probably know at this point, is the reason it was filmed that way is that Harrison Ford was actually sick that day and was running a fever, so he was actually weak. So he was just like, can I just shoot the guy (laughs) (laughs) so he can rap for the day? So they did that, and it turned out looking okay, and they decided to put it in the movie. So it's one of the uh, scenes that's most iconic and people think of in the Han shot first when Indy shoots the swordsman in this movie. But it wasn't that wasn't the way it was originally written. There actually was going to be a sword fight, but Harrison Ford was sick that day. Yeah, that's... And then I call back to that later. Yeah, there's, later there's multiple callbacks in the in the other movies. But there's a lot of impressive stunts and action sequences in this movie. And again, I think sometimes we get a little bit pampered with the 
current movie making technology that we have that back then most stuff had to be done with practical effects and a lot more stunt work it wasn't mm-hmm. green screens and cgi and stuff like that it doesn't all look great but it has a more practical feel to it some right. of the movies show their age in the sense that the film craft doesn't hold up very well right but there is still a lot of impressive stunts and fights and action sequences yeah i couldn't help but uh again going back to when they they opened the the ark and the ghosts come out and it I was like it looks exact like they they took the ghost from ghostbusters and put it in this movie <laughs> It looked exactly the same, and even like the part where like it all of a sudden like the the happy face melts away and he gets all angry. I'm like that. I'm pretty sure they stole that from Ghostbusters. It looks exactly the same. <laughs> it does look exactly. And the then same. even the zappy thing actually looks like the proton packs. It does, yeah. That zaps all the Nazis. Yeah, that's like all of these movies have sort of an anticlimactic ending to them. So at the end, uh, Indy and Marion are are tied to a pole and basically only kept alive, arguably, so that they could see the Nazis perform the ritual to open up the Ark of the Covenant. So they're pretty much screwed. They're surrounded by Nazis, and afterwards they're probably going to get killed. But uh, I often make fun of, you know, Deus Es Machina is the, the term, which literally means the god machine, but it's a term in storytelling for having just like a magical thing just poof and take care of all of the things that the heroes are facing this is literally a god machine because it's the Ark of the Covenant, and it opens up, kills all of the Nazis, burns their ropes up for them, and then conveniently closes itself. <laughs> oh, it burned the ropes up. <laughs> yes. That was my first question. I'm like, how did they get out of the ropes? So the proton pack energy didn't kill them, but it burned their ropes because it's a brief scene where like they hold up the rope and it's like all burnt. Oh. So that's so it, it killed all the Nazis, burned their ropes, and then conveniently closed itself. Yeah, I had that note on there, too. I'm like, how did it close itself? And how did it burn the ropes but not burn them? Yes. And how did he know, close your eyes, don't look, whatever happens? Exactly. Exactly. Why, or why that would even work. So, yeah, it's like, it's like it, it was like, oh, they're really screwed. Oh, no, they're not. Movie's over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, so that's the anticlimactic ending. But even before we, we get to that, one of my favorite, I, I, I always think of it every time I watch this movie, and I don't know why I think it's so funny, but it's one of my favorite scenes. The Nazi torturer guy walks into the tent and he, and he pulls out this thing with a bunch of metal poles connected with chains. And you think it's some type of a weapon or a torture device. And he's about to start beating the crap out of Marion. And he just links them all together and it's a coat hanger. Yeah. <laughs> he hangs, and he hangs his coat up. For some reason, that makes me laugh every time. I thought that was cool the first time I saw it and I still think it's cool. Uh, one thing about this movie that I, I definitely wasn't the first one to come up with this. I've heard it before, uh, but it was definitely a thought in my head as I watched it, especially at the end of it, was the only thing that Indiana Jones actually does in this movie is help the Nazis get the Ark sooner. Otherwise, he doesn't even have to be in this movie and the events take place exactly the same way. All he does is kind of just makes things explode because apparently Michael Bay was a consultant on these movies. I'm not really sure... <laughs> There's well, a lot of, oh, that's what I was going to say earlier, but when you're talking about the stunts and everything, what came mm-hmm. to my head was like, there's so many times like, okay, a truck rolls over and then it explodes because reasons? I don't really know. And like, I can't remember which movie it was. Was it this one where they, they had the boat chase scene where they go between the tankers? Nope, that's an, that's, that's um, Crusade. That's okay. a oh, movie. that's, in, well. Yeah, the boat explodes now the boat for explodes, no reason. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> 
That Why? was a, that was very typical of 1980s movies. It was just like unnecessary expl not just explosions, but like fiery explosions. Yeah. It's like why? <laughs> there, There's, yeah, there isn't enough gasoline in the world to make that explosion that big. Yeah, your point that you just made about how Indy was he not only did he help them get it faster, he actually probably was the reason that they actually found it. Because the movie shows that they the Nazis were actually digging in the wrong place. They'd eventually got it. It wasn't probably, that far away. They were close enough. They, they were close. Yeah, there. they would have got there eventually. But yeah, they eventually would have gotten it. And he doesn't do anything to stop them. And the, the arc kind of fixes itself. Right. <laughs> so yeah, he did. So really, really, he was just there to recover it afterwards. He really he was just there to recover it afterwards and give it to the government to put in a warehouse that we see again in the Crystal Skull. But the other thing that I wanted to point out. Just because we ripped apart the Sith dagger when we talked about the Star Wars: yeah. The Rise of Skywalker, the first time I, on the on uh, the rewatch for to, prepping for this podcast, when I saw the Staff of Ra, I was like, "Holy crap! The Staff of Ra is the Sith dagger." <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's so many things could have changed over the years that make to make that inaccurate or. You know, just sun position being it, different, different times of year might change that. Or what if they had the staff facing the wrong direction? Because it was or, they, they made a point to say that the jewel wasn't in the center. It was off center. So how, where, why? Plus the fact that the, the map room could have settled or been right. partially uh, destroyed by centuries of time had passed. So nothing about. So I mean, it was it had to be aligned the right way to shine through the staff of Ra to point to where it actually was. But it's like so much of that could have gone wrong over the years. Plus the fact that there was writing <laughs> on the staff of Ra in an ancient language that told you where to go hold the staff of Ra. It's like it's the Sith dagger. <laughs> right. But uh, I, I will defend that a little bit because there was. Like the whole floor was holes of places to put the staff, mm -hmm. and he had to decipher the clues that were there to figure out which hole to put it in. Yes. So there was at least that. Yes. But then for some reason, somehow snakes were flowing like water in this area. I'm, I'm still trying to figure <laughs> that one out. Why there would be like 15 snakes falling through a hole as if that had been happening for 15,000 years, whatever. What what the hell, guys? Yeah, I'm about to say, there's a lot of stuff in there. Again, not just this movie, in all the movies, that the, the ruins are, are too unruined, and there are a lot of things that just happen conveniently for action and, and, and to get out of when he's trapped in there, he <laughs> pushes this giant rock almost effortlessly that would take, like, five people to lift, but he just pushes it out, and there was enough gap there for light to come through, but somehow that didn't ruin everything that was in there over the years yeah like we said off the top don't think about it too much just enjoy the ride yeah yep <laughs> going for that ride mm -hmm. swinging on that whip so yeah i i like this movie the end again is anticlimactic but you can say that about all of the movies mm -hmm. this was the first movie we'll probably come back to this again but this was the first movie where I took some notes about he's not really or you, you want to do that at the end, the whole th idea that he's kind of a criminal and no, because that was one of the things that because there was a scene in this movie that actually even tried to address it. So, like, as I was watching the movie, I was like, you know what? He's a criminal. He's a thief. He's even called a grave robber at, at various times throughout the franchise's run. He's obviously not playing by the quote unquote rules of archaeology and respecting 
the sovereignty of nations where these ruins exist or even you know thinking that he can just basically take any antiquities he wants back to the United States to be put into the museum that's attached to the university that he works for. But also, not only does he do that, but he also he kills quite a few people throughout this movie and the franchise. And I don't just mean like in self-defense, Han shot first type style. He just like kills people just because they're kind of in his way and it would be inconvenient for them to be alive. (laughs) Give an example of that. Like, again, the the, the swordsman that he shoots and kills. The swordsman was going to kill him, though. Well, if it was more of a a more extensive thing, fight. But yeah, did he really need to kill the, the swordsman? Again, the Nazis being the bad guys are kind of like the get out of jail free card. No one cares if you kill Nazis. But they're all trying to kill him. Yeah, that's true too. So it's more in self defense. The killing thing is more in self defense, I think. There's there's a lot of the a lot of the killing is done in self defense, but there's there's he has no qualms about physical violence and well, and murder if necessary. Correct. But there are also like even people that were were trying like going against him and stuff, he still tried to save them if it was came down to it. Yeah, he's he's not. I'm not saying he's a villain because there's actually a, a good scene in uh, Belloc, who plays the rival archaeologist who's working for the Nazis to try to find the Ark. Actually, has a nice scene with him saying that he tries to tell uh, Indy, he's like, "You're not. You and I are not that different." And he basically tries to tell Indy, he's like, "You're closer to a villain than you are a hero," but. He, Indy, is still close enough to be considered a hero by comparison. He hasn't right. gone as far as that other guy has gone. So I almost felt like they had that scene in there as an acknowledgement of, yeah, he's kind of a rule breaker and a criminal and maybe a questionable murderer, but he's still a good guy because he hasn't completely crossed the line. Right. He's not working for the Nazis. And he does try to help people. And it's okay if he's a thief because that belongs in a museum. Yes, but a museum in the United States that he kind of sort of works for because it's attached to his university. Eh, yeah. <laughs> and he gets paid to do it. And he gets paid to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree. So, for me overall, uh, Lost Ark, my, my final note on it was just that it's it's a fun action movie as long as you don't stop and think about physics or details as you said and as i often say if you just go for the ride especially like through kids eyes it's a fun action movie it's a fun action movie the other thing that's great about these movies is the soundtrack i mean it's john williams oh yeah so you always get the soundtrack Mm -hmm. i will cut in the real song here So that's like the audio cue. You know that something exciting is about to happen when you hear that music. Right. Exactly. So that's always cool. Man, John Williams is good. He is awesome. You got anything else you want to say about Lost Ark? I think I am done with the Lost Ark. Let's move on to Doom. My least. (laughs) My least. I like all four movies, but this is my least favorite of the four. My least rewatchable of the four. For me, again, this is the one that I saw the most as a child. And I, I really, it, it kind of creeped me out, but it was also really exciting the whole time. So this is the one I connected to the most. So for me, it's probably the, the one I like to watch the most. But I'll agree, it's the worst movie overall. Like for me, at times, it felt like they were trying too hard. Like when I was rewatching it to prepare for the podcast, that was a note that I wrote down for myself. It's like, 
It's like they were trying to go bigger and grander than the first movie so that the sequel would be good. And at times there also seems like there's too much action in this movie and it's kind of loses what little it has of a story and plot. And that kind of bothered me a little bit. But there are some aspects of it, like the opening sequence with the diamond and the poison and the antidote. It wasn't as good as the or as iconic as the opening sequence, obviously, of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it was interesting that in that this is one of the few one of the times that they had the callbacks we were talking about earlier, that Indy uses a sword to defeat someone with a gun. And for some reason, I I found it funny that he used a rolling gong as a shield so it was kind of an allusion to the rolling ball at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I also thought it was just kind of a cool effect. See, and I thought that whole scene was stupid as hell. <laughs> Most of it was stupid. I but mean, A, it's just basically uh, the bad guy's just a cheap Bond villain through the whole thing. Like, I I just kept waiting for him to like lift a cat up off of his lap and start petting it the whole time. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And then the diamond and the antidote being kicked around by everybody that's panicking and running around. Because nobody's like, everybody's like running in circles instead of leaving or something. Yes. I don't know and what's going they, on there. Nobody steps on them. They just kick them repeatedly. Plus, then they dump ice on the floor. Then they drop balloons oh, from the ceiling. Oh, you can't tell the difference between ice and a diamond. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, there are lots of parts of the scene where they go a little bit over the top with what they're trying to do. And the scenes seem to be, because some of the scenes in Raiders of the Lost Ark were a little bit too simplistic. And in this movie, again, it's it felt like they were trying too hard and they were putting extra stuff in the scenes and extending the gags and trying to extend the action sequences more than it was actually necessary. Yeah, I could see that for sure. But again, as a kid, though, I mean, this movie, there's a lot of action in this movie. It's, yes. it's basically just like action scene to action scene through the whole thing. Which yeah, really actually is. Going on, actually, most of the movies end up that way going forward from this. They just sprinkle a little more story in the other ones. The other ones have a bit more story, a little bit more uh, interaction with, and more cerebral nature to it. But yeah, this one's definitely much more action-packed. I think also this one might have appealed more to kids, too, because as a kid in the movie as his sidekick. So they have Short Round, who's basically a kid who's his sidekick. So the movie's being appealing to kids, and you can pretend like you're the kid who's Indy's sidekick, which also, there was also a little bit of a... Not quite a father-son type of thing going on there, but that's sort of like pretend he needs your dad kind of thing. So I could see how that would have been appealing. Yeah, I just kept waiting for short round to like open up his jacket and a punching boxing gloves comes out or something like that. <laughs> Goonies reference, kids. Goonies. Yes. There are a lot. We'll probably come back again to this uh, later. There are a lot of watching the movie. I couldn't help but think a lot of bad racial stereotypes. It's like, is this racist towards Asians and Indians as we'll get into later because the way that they're depicted in the film doesn't isn't terribly positive they're depicted right. rather poorly yeah I, I kept thinking the whole time I was like are they being racist or are they just depicting the characters the way they thought those characters would be right based on a stereotype that they had in their heads like was it is it purposeful or accidental racism through this movie Right, and were they poking fun at stuff, or right. or were they reflecting how people actually? Were they picking the worst parts that they could possibly come take? Yeah, that that was that was really the conflict in my head on that one. Between that and the sexism, in yeah, this one. yeah, but, there's a lot of isms that that this this movie brings about. There's not a lot of, 
And again, it's not a bad movie, but it's problematic on some yeah. of those levels. And I think that that's subconsciously why I don't like this movie very much. Yeah, my my harshest criticism actually is is really just the female lead. Just the movie just shows that women are dumb and helpless. There's a whole movie. Yeah, Kate Capshaw. It's so disappointing because she's a good actress, and that one one of the other things I didn't like about this movie. This is the movie that where the female lead, for lack of a better term, is the most useless. And she's basically just a scream queen. I think 80% of her lines was just to scream. And the screams were out of place. And did you ever actually see her scream or it was always off camera? A lot of it was off camera, but every now and then she would scream. But yeah, most of it was her her, her job it, was to scream. Yeah. And it was the off camera screams that really, I'm like, that didn't even, in that situation, that is not the way that you would scream. Actually, mm-hmm. I can't even think of a scenario where you would scream that way. And it's, yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the female characters were more powerful, more useful, and more meaningful in, in the other movies. Her character, very beautiful woman, but her character was was terribly written. So that's the right. sexism and in, in the way that she was treated that also helped, that, that hurt this movie. Because in the first one, Marion was, she was strong, independent, she'd take care of herself, she helped, mm-hmm. she was smart. Yeah. She figured stuff out. Maybe they were, they thought that marion wasn't sexy enough or something like oh we just need a a female sex symbol to sell this movie or something and i'm hoping that the reason they changed it back up again and gave another strong character later was uh because the fight back from that or maybe that character didn't go over well yeah i think this is probably the least it did well but i think it was it wasn't uh, as received as critic well critically as the other movies now, we have a lot of the silliness that you shouldn't think about it too much because it tried to just go for the ride and enjoy it. A lot of really stupid things happen in this movie. Mm-hmm. The jumping out of a plane with an inflatable raft down a snowy mountain off of a cliff into a running river. It's like, wow, how much longer can we stretch the hyperbolic right? <laughs> scene? Okay, so A, no way they're going to hold on to that raft falling from the plane. Correct. B, okay, maybe if they landed on, on the mountain at, at an angle and just kind of slid it down like a ramp, but they don't. They hit flat on that mountain like, oh, <laughs> but because they're on a raft, they don't die? <laughs> and then they slide down the mountain so fast. <laughs> what was the next thing they hit? Oh, the cliff. They and went they off go, the cliff. Yeah. They like, fall again and then again fall flat on the water. But it's water, so it's not hard. You're not going to die then with the exact same impact. Yeah, so apparently terminal velocity is meaningless as long as you fall onto snow or water. Or have a <laughs> thin piece of rubber protecting you. <laughs> protecting you, yeah. So the fact that they didn't get thrown out of the raft, so that they could hold on to the raft, didn't get thrown out of the raft. The raft never flipped. The raft never flipped, didn't like in, like blow up or like lose its air or something, Yeah, and they didn't die from the impact of either jumping out of the plane or going off of a very high cliff (laughs) again there's a lots of things like you said before that don't quite make sense from a physics standpoint but this is like whoa that is just over the top i think that was at the point in the movies where i was like i i just i kind of want to start over and just start counting how many times they should have died by physics so actually i'll say too this movie I want to say probably that part of the movie is where I decided that these movies, in order for me to enjoy them, I have to remind myself that it's a fake world with a completely different set of physics. Then I can enjoy these movies because I'm like, oh, in that world, that's how physics work. (laughs) 
because yes. it's inconsistent apparently yeah it is very inconsistent so yeah that that frustrated me a bit about this movie like i said before there's a lot more fight and action in this movie almost non-stop and again they think they were trying too hard in that respect there were also there's some sequences that were just dragged out too much like the escape from the temple is a really long a really long fight to get out of the like temple room and then a long fight in sort of the, the mine where they're rescuing the kids. And then they go on the mining cart roller coaster so, ride. I'm, I'm calling that mine cart madness <laughs> because uh, there's a video game Donkey Kong Country. Oh, yes. And there, there's multiple mine cart, basically, <laughs> where you have to like jump and do something like that's all I could think of the entire time. It's like, oh, it's like Donkey Kong Country. Mm-hmm. I bet they hit a jump. Yep, there's a jump because you would land it and... Again, the physics. Then the physics, and then and then it was also one of the times where the, the there was a few times in this movie where the it showed its age in the sense that the filmmaking technology looked fake. Like yeah. at the end of the mine uh, cart race, the water comes through the thing and pushes them out, and they're on the cliff. It looks really bad. I was making a lot of Mexican food jokes in my head at that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But when they're clinging to the side of the cliff with the water shooting out, the yeah. filmmaking, I mean, again, nowadays we're we're spoiled with green screen and CGI. They can actually do stuff like that and have it not look stupid. It looked really bad at that point. So then if that wasn't, oh, is that it? No, let's keep going. Let's climb up to a, go ahead. Hold on, hold okay. on, hold on. Because <laughs> right, I so one more thing I want to say at the, about the minecart thing. Who would build minecart tracks in roller coaster style like that. <laughs> Why would that ever be a thing? Maybe they were going to open an amusement park? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, those might. Why would they go up and down and loop around? And like, yeah, that structure made no sense. Right. Uh, all right. So they're climbing up and they're going. I'm assuming you're talking about going to the bridge. Yeah, because, okay, great. We've escaped. Oh, no, not yet. Let's have this giant rope bridge be across this uh, over the top of the, of the river. Because, of course, the way out of the mine is through the top of the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because <laughs> when you're taking a mine cart where you're pulling the ore that you would pull out from the mine, you, you wanna... want that on the top of the mountain, not at the bottom. <laughs> not to mention the fact that basically momentum was the only thing propelling the cart. So how did it go up? It should have been like going down to the bottom of the mountain. But yeah. Physics, don't different di- fake world. <laughs> Physics are different. Gravity pushes up on metal here. Apparently, I don't know. So then we get to the rope bridge scene, which actually, as a kid, this was my favorite scene as a kid. But I'll let you rant. Again, it seemed like it was an over-the-top piece of action sequences. Again, it's also another one that the MythBusters actually took on. And again, just like most of the stuff that they did. It was plausible that you could cut the rope bridge and you could survive the swing down. Whether or not you would be badly hurt or killed by the impact against the side of the canyon. (laughs) Yeah, that that, that would be the... the, the force there, I mean, trying to hold on would probably dislocate your shoulder at, at minimum. Oh, yeah, no one's, yeah, they, they wrapped the ropes around their legs and hands, and no one got, like, their arms or legs dislocated or ripped out or anything like or that. Or cut. Or cut, or like that. And that they were, and they were able all, including the little kid, was able, was strong enough to be able to climb up the rope I, I'm ladder. I'm fine with the climbing thing, because it's like a ladder. 
Okay. I mean, you're just pulling up your own body weight, and you're just going rung by rung. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with that, mostly. Except for the falling 15 feet and then grabbing hold of somebody. And yeah, nope. Yeah, they played up a lot of that, too. And then also the extended fight sequences, holding on with one arm while punching and kicking with your others and getting hit, getting kicked and punched multiple times, but not falling. So, yeah, there was a lot of like, and like you said, people falling down 20 feet into another person and not. So, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was played up for the at the action aspect of it, right. but wasn't very realistic. Yeah, I, I could see maybe somebody in shape like Indy being able to hold on during that stuff. But the bad guy didn't look like he was in all that good shape. He had a little bit of extra weight, so to, so to speak. At least seemed like maybe it was clothing. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think they'd be able to hold on through all that. Plus, they did another sort of deus ex machina thing where the way he finally defeats him because he has the stones in the sack and he basically starts chanting because he says, you you betrayed Shiva. And he starts chanting and the sack catches on fire and the guy gra- and the, the burning stones knock the, the guy off. But conveniently, the one that he wanted to keep put its fire out and Indy was able to grab it and put it back in the sack. But he was able to, to do the yeah. Shiva chance to make them blow up in fire that made the guy fall to his death and get chomped up by the alligators. Um, Is that what that was? That wasn't Kermit? That was an alligator? Yeah, that was an alligator. All right. He's he's making <laughs> puppet motions with his it hand. Do, with it no... does look like Kermit the Frog, though. But yeah, that's yeah. what. It's, it's not easy being green. It's not. So yeah, that was another one of those is over the top. And, and again, sort of anticlimactic because then oh oh and then we think you're you're okay let's have like 50 guys with bows and arrows start shooting at you but not hit you but where did (laughs) where did they get the bows and arrows because they showed up and didn't have them and then all of a sudden they had them it's not like you can conceal carry a bow like that you guys can't see i'm actually holding my head right now because it's starting to hurt but that part, so they show up with the bows and arrows. Then the other side of the canyon, all of a sudden, the British forces show up with guns. I had somebody watching the movie with me and gave one of the best jokes ever on accident. <laughs> she looks like, oh, it's like cowboys and Indians because the guns and the bows. <laughs> and I just started laughing hysterically. She was like, it wasn't that funny. I'm like, no, but they're Indian. They're like the actual Indians. They're in India. And she's like, oh. Yeah, I made that joke on purpose. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was one of the best jokes I've ever heard in my life, and it was accidental. I told her I'd give her credit that she did it on purpose. So pretend like I gave her credit. And that was another one of the, if it was racist or offensive, that they had bows and arrows. Although, I mean, the British forces also had Indian troops with them, too. Right. But they had guns. As opposed to the other side had... Well, this was also... This was set in the time when India was under British rule, or just after British rule. Right, yeah, in the nineteen late 1930s. So and, the yeah. for, and the Indian forces that came in with the guns were British military. Right, trained British yeah. trained, trained military. So yeah, so maybe it wasn't as bad as that. There also was, earlier in that sequence, before they got to the bridge, another gun versus sword callback, because two guys with swords come at Indy, and he tries to reach for his gun to shoot them, but he doesn't have his gun, so he's actually forced to engage in a sword fight against, and he defeats one of the guys, and then he does basically <laughs> a Star Wars moment. He runs after the other guy, and then he turns around and runs away because he then is being chased by 
No, not stormtroopers, but by a bunch of guys in turbans with swords. That can't hit anything. That can't hit anything. Exactly. Because, again, it's the same character. It's the same character. And maybe that's why the guys with the bows and arrows couldn't hit anything. Maybe the guys with the bows and arrows, they were stormtroopers because they couldn't hit anything. With that the, could be. It was basically like it, it looked like it just like threw a bunch of arrows at like uh, the, right. like off like off off camera. Someone just like picked up a, a bunch of arrows and just threw them at because <laughs> like they didn't even like come in like 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 someone was shooting at them. It was just like just throw a bunch of arrows at right. him. <laughs> a pile of arrows falls on him. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to the people shooting the arrows, it was a pretty wide. Oh, yeah, the, the, the fact that they were even able to get a couple near him at that distance. Especially since they were using short bows. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, <laughs> physics. So, again, then that movie, again, also ends rather anticlimactically. So, he yep. gets gets the stone, he gets all the kids back to the village, returns the stone to the village, and yay. And, oh, we knew you were coming back because everything started coming alive again in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, so my my conclusion in this movie was it, actually I that's where I came to the conclusion. This is a good horror slash action adventure series for kids because all of the things that I'm nitpicking about that I'm like oh, that doesn't make sense. The physics issues you're not thinking about that as a kid because you don't know the physics as a kid. So that that that's kind of where I came into kind of the same with Star Wars. You got to come into it okay if it's made with the idea that kids are going to enjoy these movies. It's a really good movie. And a really good series of movies. I'm glad that you said horror. They kind of played up like the horror occult angle in this movie with like Indy getting mind controlled by the blood. And then mm -hmm. the also the, as you mentioned off mic, why were there voodoo dolls in India? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I you mean to look that up. Like, is that a thing? Because like, I don't a, think that was a thing. That was, yeah, they kind of mixed their mysticism together. And again, going back to what we had said earlier, it's like, I guess to their credit, the extras were did appear to be of Indian descent, and I'm sure maybe some of the location shoots were, but it still leaves me looking. Maybe it's just looking back at it now. It's like, was that racist and offensive to Asians, Indians, and to people of the uh, Hindu faith? I'm not sure, but it kind of felt like it wasn't right. Yeah, to today's standards, looking yes. Back. But maybe at the time, it was just kind of maybe they were just happy to have the, the work. Mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't know. Yeah. At the time, it was okay. Today, it's very not okay. Which you could say about a lot of movies from the True. 80s. True. So, that was The Temple of Doom, my Doom, least Doom. the least favorite of the four. So, now that takes us to my favorite Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Let's do it, Junior. <laughs> <laughs> and that is probably why it is my favorite movie, because Sean Connery is in the third one. And I think I also think the third movie is the funniest movie. This, like you said earlier, this comedy in all of these movies. But The Last Crusade, I laugh a lot when I watch that. Yeah. And, and Sean Connery is used to great comedic effect in The Last Crusade. Which really works for me because I can't really see Sean Connery in anything without just laughing at him. <laughs> I cannot take him seriously. And, and maybe that's because of Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. Maybe. But yeah, I just can't. I can't take him seriously. Well, the fact that he does the Scottish accent, no matter what. Right. Like, and even like the hunt for Red October, you're a Russian sub commander. Why do you have a Scottish accent? Yeah. 
and he doesn't even really act. He just kind of stands there and delivers lines looking pretty. That, that's, yes. They shifted the blonde to Sean Connery in this one. <laughs> but he actually has a few decent comedic moments. He does yeah. a, de- a decent job as as the comic relief. of. And I, I, but I, she does in the previous movie, too. She does, yes. That's true. But uh, I will argue she's prettier. She is prettier. But I like the fact that they made James Bond not an action hero in this. That was part of what also made it funny for me. Because at that point, Sean Connery was probably also my favorite James Bond at that time. This is the late 1980s. So having him be not an action star in this movie. Yeah, I don't know that I'd ever seen a Bond movie at that point. Okay. Actually, to this day, I think I've only seen like two or three Bond movies. They're not all... They're they're somewhat similar. It's also a genre where you have to kind of just go for the ride. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense in those movies either, but... They, some of them are quite entertaining. They're very formulaic, which is probably something that also wouldn't work well for you. Yeah. Um, these movies are also somewhat formulaic, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but He stumbles into some sort of temple or tomb of some kind, and he fights his way out with the artifact. Yep. Now, some of the things that I liked about this movie is I like how it kind of gives us a broader historical perspective on the character. So the film starts off with a young Indiana Jones. Played, sadly, well, sadly, because he's, he's passed away. River Phoenix plays the young Indiana Jones in this movie. And it gives us both the origin of the trademark look of the character and also, like, some of the background of, like, why he uses a bullwhip, why he's afraid of snakes, how a funny thing about even, like, why, I mean, it's Harrison Ford's scar, but, like, why he has a scar on his chin mm-hmm. because the first time he tried to use the bullwhip, he actually hit himself in the face with it. <laughs> and that's why he has a scar on his chin. And his trademark look came from basically a grave-robbing archaeologist who looked exactly like him, mm-hmm. stole something when he was a kid. Who, of course, gave him his hat because... Yes, because... Reasons. Why, reasons. Uh, and so then, of course, that guy ends up getting away with, like, the, the artifact and of course we jump ahead in time and and indy goes and steals that artifact back <laughs> but i like that that whole idea a little bit of a, a background of of the history of it and a little bit of a slight allusion to at least that sean connery we didn't see him on screen until about half, like an hour into the movie but we heard his voice early when uh, river phoenix is trying to get his father's attention and he's being told to shut up because his father's writing in his grail notebook I will say, too, I do kind of like how all the adventures start kind of the same way, where he's teaching a class, and somebody comes in and sits in and waits for him to finish, and then, hey, I need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Well, that was missing in the second movie. That was the other thing that they skipped. They went directly into the, the sequence in Temple of Doom. It just went, opening sequence, jumps out of a plane, hey, you're in India. He was going to go home to a oh, university, right. but instead he's decided to stay. So they, they skipped that formula in Temple of Doom. But they repeat that formula in uh, this movie. So they had that. I like, <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of stupid. I wrote down, the Nazis are back as the villains. Again, back then, you want to have bad guys in a movie? Pick the Nazis. No one's going to complain that the Nazis are the bad guys. Yeah, I wrote a note on that, that it, it seemed kind of weird or strange that for some reason Spielberg had something against Nazis. I know. Can't weird. imagine why. <laughs> I had joked off Mike that these movies were the prequels to Schindler's List. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine why a, a Jewish person would have something against Nazis. That's that's strange. And we're back to Judeo-Christian uh, religious mysticism mythology, since we're back now, in this case, it's the Holy Grail, 
Well, we had the Ark of the Covenant in the first movie. Oh, you mean it's the same movie and replicated, which you hate in Star Wars, but it's okay here. <laughs> yeah, but again, they changed up uh, the 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 depth of the character, the father son relationship between Indy and his dad, and that added that more personal level. Even though the movie is pretty much the same, yeah. But there are better aspects to it. The the female Nazi uh, doctor is a much more interesting character. And I will say, though, his interaction with her, I, I thought of it in the previous one in, in Doom, but this really solidifies he's pretty rapey. Yeah, it, it's also the weird thing, though, too, just because we mentioned James Bond. James Bond was pretty rapey, too. Yeah, it was like the guy that back in that era, that sort of machismo was supposed to be how like, oh, he's a ladies man. It's like actually kind of rapey yeah i mean in, the, in both these movies like he tries to like kiss them they're like no i don't want to he's like but i want to and like pulls them closer and does it anyway and then they're like oh i like this and go along with it it's like you wonder why the generation of guys that grew up with these movies ended up kind of rapey mm -hmm. kind of that's that's what we thought we were supposed to do because we learned from movies because parents weren't teaching things yeah there were a lot of bad role models in the male female relationship dynamic yeah. but yeah that also that and also the whole idea that the the bad boy and the strong man can just take whatever he wants and yeah. that the girl secretly wants that. or rich yeah so yeah so our yeah, generation all, that got brought up by movies and tv really got taught the wrong way yeah gender and relationship stereotypes were really bad back then and it's indicative in these movies as well so this had at least a little bit more of a mythological background. Like the Ark of the Covenant wasn't really talked about too much in the first movie, but with his father's like notebook and his extensive like research into the Ark of the Covenant, I'm sorry, into the Holy Grail his entire life, added a little bit more to, I mean, it's completely fictional, the story that they tell, but it added a little bit more depth to it than there was in the previous two movies but not so much just enough to say that it's not just pure action adventure there's a little bit of yeah figure out the puzzle type thing and i also liked in this one there's a lot of callback jokes yes like it, the, you know he's teaching the classes like in archaeology you, you spend all your time in the library and x never marks the spot and then the next scene he's in a library and x marks the spot yes the x marks the spot is one of my one of my favorite there's lots of really good jokes all throughout that but yeah the x marks the spot joke is really good oh and you're never gonna follow a, a treasure map and he's following a treasure map the whole time mm -hmm. yeah so yeah there's lots of stuff in there that is is very well done even like even some of the even like the um the book stamp banging gag yeah when they're trying to break open the the floor thing and the, the guy thinks he's like stomping the book so, I mean, little stuff like that. So, it's not even like just like jokes, but just like, you know, like the sight gags and other like comedic elements like that. Or even like the silly stuff where like Sean Connery shoots off the back of their plane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm they sorry. got a son. They got a son. <laughs> so, there's like stuff like that that's just kind of silly. But again, it makes me laugh. But he also just even to the, the, just the reactions to stuff like when Harrison Ford kills three nazis with a machine gun okay that's self-defense because he mm -hmm. came in but then his father's like i can't believe what you just did like he's just like you just killed three people shouldn't you be freaking out shouldn't we both be freaking out and he's like come on dad yeah <laughs> or, or like things like he indiana does something like really really extravagant and cool and like wins over the thing and he looks over and he just like 
glares at him and then winds his watch like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. He's like, come on, be proud of me, Dad. Yeah, so that father... Maybe later, Junior. So that father-son dynamic, or even like the thing where like they had the scene on the dirigible when he basically complains that his father never talked to him growing up. And he's like, okay, well, I'm here right now. Let's talk. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. Then what are you complaining about? Right. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting that he just wants approval from his dad. And his dad's like, you were fine. And they even get into that argument. It's like, I raised you fine. I raised you to be independent. I raised you to think for yourself. I raised you to be smart. Mm-hmm. What else did you want? Right. Which, again, goes back to what we talked about before. It's like, that's not really a great father figure or good parenting <laughs> archetype. But Is it though? I mean, I think we need people to be more independent and to think for themselves and to be smart. True. So, yeah, I guess that's true. Plus, also, there's the other thing, too, about poking fun at the underlying thing. Like, at one point, Sean Connery's character is like, you call this archaeology? Meaning, like, the stuff that, yeah. as again, this is not a real, or not supposed to be a realistic depiction of what archaeology is really like. I like how every once in a while, like, uh, there's a part, actually, it was in uh, Lost Ark, where... He's trying to look and decipher, you know, the agent stuff, and he starts kind of wiping the dust off and realizes it's not working, and he just reaches in the pocket and pulls out a brush and starts brushing the dust away. I'm like, okay, so at least it shows he knows how to do actual archaeology, but then he's just like, oh, we need to go through here. I'm just going to break the wall down with my shoulder instead of using tools and being careful about it. Yeah, the lack of respect for, like, he get, once he gets the thing he wants in any of the movies, he just destroys everything else without a, uh, without a single thought, which is obviously not very realistic. But which the, was a note I made at the end of this movie. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that happens in terms of the callbacks that you were mentioning when they're going through the basement of the church slash library and they pass the painting on the wall, or the drawing mm-hmm. on the wall of the Ark, and he's like, oh, that's the Ark of the Covenant. And one's like, how do you know? I know. <laughs> Long story. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. I already found that one. So, yeah, there's, there's callbacks to stuff uh, like that. So, yeah, the, the movie is, again, it's my favorite movie of the four. And again, I I think of all, almost all of my favorite scenes are the ones with Sean Connery and the interactions yeah. with him. So they, they really came back. They they did a lot more with the story and made the, the puzzle pieces a little more complex in this one. Yes. It was funnier. So, yeah, it was just a more well-rounded movie. So I, I will agree this is probably the best overall movie. They had a lot of, going back to one of the points you raised earlier, unnecessary explosions. So this was the movie where the boat yep. blows up for no apparent reason. Yeah. Then they have the plane clips its wings and goes flying through the tunnel on fire and then leaves the tunnel and explodes, but they're able to drive right through it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep. So yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff like that happening. Different world, different physics. Yep. Had to keep that in mind, definitely. And I like how they made the female bad guy, the, the female Nazi mm-hmm. doctor, had more depth to her character. Like I like the scene when they're in Berlin and they're burning books and she's basically on the verge of crying. So she doesn't yeah. she's not a hardcore Nazi. She's there she's using the Nazi party to get to the Grail as the other people are too. But, yeah, she, she had more, she wasn't full-on bad guy. She had a little bit more depth to her. And I also like. A little bit. Yeah. And I like the fact that both junior and senior slept with her. Yeah, she, <laughs> I was actually just about to say, but at the same time, they also kind of say, oh, she used her feminine wiles to seduce both of them into getting what she wants. And that Because that's all women can do is seduce and 
Yeah, I, I didn't really like that part necessarily, but but yeah, much much more well rounded, full character than in previous the previous movie. And there's been a lot of un- impressive stunts and action sequences in this too, like all the stuff with the tank. Whether or not it was terribly believable was at least exciting mm-hmm. when he goes to try to rescue his father and, and Marcus in the tank. And even a couple of the scenes like you had mentioned off mic, the jokes about the the umbrella being uh, in the pen. Mightier than the, yeah, the umbrella is mightier than the plane. And then the pen is mightier than the gun. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff there. And then the weird, the weird use of the whip again was one of the other things too. Like when he uses the whip to prevent his father from falling off of the tank, but his father's basically bouncing on the tank treads, mm. and his his legs should be like ripped out of the socket, or at least, or something, or or any other time when he grabs somebody with the whip, that should hurt like right. hell and really be injuring people, but. That never seems to be a problem. Another rapey part. Going to leave. Whipper. Pull her back. Yes. That too. And then one of the other, again, funny sequences too in the movie. Wait, that was the end of the last movie. Sorry. That was actually the end of the last movie. Yeah. In Temple of Doom when she tries to walk away and he he whips her back. It's like, first off, that would have hurt like hell. (laughs) But yes, letting that go. When the tank goes off the cliff and they think Indy is dead. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty cool scene because it like because Sean Connery's getting all misty eyes like oh I never it's almost like he didn't say I never told him I loved him it's like oh there's so many things I could have said but it's like it only would have taken five minutes yeah. <laughs> I could have said everything I had to say and then they're all looking there and then he's standing next to him like what's everybody looking at right. <laughs> he's like Oof, that's a long way down that and then pretty violent. and then of course then the other thing that's funny is like so he he just did this like long dramatic action sequence to save everybody mm-hmm. and then he just collapses on the ground exhausted and his father's like what are you sitting around for come on we got things to do right. <laughs> whereas in, in real life he would basically be practically dead for all of the things that he just went through to get them back so yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of physics stuff in this one, too, that drove me nuts. Like, when they're in that underneath the church, and he's like, oh, petroleum, I should put a well down here. and But then somehow they light it all on fire because there's enough oxygen down there for it, and they can still breathe after the fire. I Yeah, I wish I was stupider. <laughs> no, stupider. I, I still admit I'm stupid, but I wish I was stupider. <laughs> Then maybe I could enjoy these things a little bit more. So is there any other specifics on this one you wanted to talk about? Some of, again, it goes back to what we had already said about the other movies. The, the ending is somewhat anticlimactic. I mean, I like the ending in terms of, like, again, same thing as before. The booby traps still working and being that elaborate, like, they kept cutting guys' heads off and they couldn't figure out how to get past that first test, that that was still working. All of those other yeah. things were still in place. And then the line that gets... And the blades were moving so fast that you couldn't see it? Yeah. It's just like, yeah. But somehow that was made in the, what, 1800? No, hundreds 17? of years before that. It was after the Crusade. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, uh, so it was like, at that point, it was almost 800 years old. So And they had the technology at the time to make that? Yeah. So it was, that was... And a the little... bridge didn't have dust on it? that they could see it yeah so that's where it went from like unbelievable tech to mysticism yeah in that same 
seeing the line that gets quoted so often and made not made fun of, but referenced all the times like he chose poorly right. when he picks the wrong chalice and gets killed. But then they had they get the the grail and they use the grail to heal his dad who got shot. <laughs> and then so basically they can't take the grail with them because they can't go past the seal, which the knight warned them about. So they try to go past the seal. So then the place just falls apart. And they just decide to leave. Just right away. We we spent our entire life going after. He spent his entire life in search of the grails. Like, it's in there, but we'll just leave it in there. <laughs> yeah. My, my notes and seeing that part was first, man, white people destroy everything they touch. They do. Yes. And then my second part is at the end of that, the knight that had been protecting that place for 800 years comes out and it's like waves to him all happily. I'm like, you know, he's thinking... Yeah, I just protected this for 800 years, but thanks for destroying everything in 30 seconds, you assholes. <laughs> yeah, what was going to happen to that poor dude? Was he just going to keep staying there? So, like, you can be immortal as long as you didn't leave that cave, but you still got old. So, yeah, kind of sucks. Did he just have to keep drinking out of that cup over and over again? I think that was the implication, that he must have been continually drinking. So when they're choosing the cup, they couldn't just look at the one that looks like it had been used over and over again for 800 years? <laughs> yeah, all the other ones would just be, like, dusty. Or did he, like, clean all of the cups? But then what happened with Indiana Jones drinking out of it? Because he drank out of it, so now is he immortal? Or did he get, like, an extra 30 seconds of life? Or You don't get immortal if you leave. That was the other thing that was cheap. If you... Oh, did he say that? They said it's like the price of immortality is you cannot pass the the symbol. That, oh. Which is kind of dumb. It's like they brought the grail to that location. How does that work? How did that limit the grail? And didn't they say earlier <laughs> in it that the reason that it works is because the grail is full of the blood of Christ, but then they have to get the water out of the other place? And how is there still water in that if he's been drinking it for 800 years? Yeah. Don't think about this movie, folks. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, again, another one of those things like, don't think about it, because if you think about it, lots of things don't make sense. But again, at the end, it's just like, okay, we're done. Let's just leave. <laughs> it's like, okay, the movie's over. Well, that was a fun adventure. <laughs> Let's go home and take a nap. Exactly. And then again, the, the ending joke that I like, you know, we named the dog Indiana. When we find out why he was being called Junior the entire movie. Oh, yeah. That he's really Henry Jones Jr. Right. But he calls himself Indiana after the family dog. Yeah. So for me, I, th I think the mo this movie overall, it was very entertaining. It flowed really well. It kept moving. And like I said, it, it probably is the best. I'm not as attached to this one. It's just kind of a fun background movie for me. But it's, it's still a fun movie. Yeah. Anytime I need an Indiana Jones fix, this is the movie I watch. The Last Crusade. Again, I like all four, but this is by far my favorite. So that brings us to the movie that Mike sometimes likes to pretend does not exist. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now, I will say this, the rewatching of this movie, I didn't hate it as much as I did the first time. So I think I saw this in the theater and then never saw it again after that because <laughs> I was so angry with it. And I will admit it was actually my own stupidity. I don't think the first time I watched it that I, even though they blatantly say it over and over, I didn't piece together that it was aliens the whole time. It was when I saw the ship and I'm like, really? They're going with aliens. Yeah, because when we were planning this episode, you were like, 
when we find out at the end that it was just aliens, I looked at you weird. I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, that was pretty much the plot of the entire movie, but okay. <laughs> I, I must have, I'm guessing, I mean, this was in 2008 is when this came out. So mm-hmm. I saw it in the theater. So that was actually, I was finishing college at mm-hmm. the time. So I probably wasn't fully paying attention. I was probably, my mind was elsewhere. I was probably with people that were distracting me. So I probably didn't fully pay attention to it. I I thought it really was like a man-made crystal skull. I don't think I caught the part that it wasn't, where they said that it wasn't. So in the end, I'm like, oh, really? They're going with that's an actual skull and that's aliens? So, yeah. The man-made skull was actually, and they actually referenced it in the movie, there was actually a crystal skull hoax. Mm-hmm. That was discovered to be a hoax. That it was a man-made. Well, I remember. Object. I remember the part where they talked about how the people of the time would like shape the infants' heads to look like that, and so I was like, "Oh, okay." So they just made that skull in the way that they wanted their heads to look. So I didn't. I I don't know what parts I missed because that was a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, I I missed the parts where they'd actually full on said, and I don't think I saw at the beginning when they exhumed the mummified alien. I don't think I saw that well enough to notice that it was an actual alien. Or the whole Roswell incident and the Roswell. Yeah, I I didn't catch that. Yeah, well, to say that's like right right at the very beginning that that established that as the alien concept. But yeah, I felt pretty stupid when I rewatched it. I'm like, oh, yeah, right at the beginning. They flat out told you. So, okay, I'll give you credit on that. That that was my bad. Go for it. Entertain me. This movie. Yeah. Again, this movie, my rank, again, is Last Crusade, Raiders of the Lost Ark, this movie, and then Temple of Doom. That kind of tells you how much I don't like Temple of Doom. This movie, I like the concept of this movie, and what they tried to do was better than the movie itself. I'll agree with that. It was the outline of the movie. The the, the idea is really well thought out. Yes. Not well executed, but well right. thought out. <laughs> It was almost like they had an idea of a really good movie, and then they're like, all right, let's have actors that are too old to play these parts, and other actors that seem very disinterested in doing this movie, (laughs) and make it anyway. Well, I like the concept of it. I mean, it had been 19 years since a Indiana Jones movie had been made, so they incorporated that into the story, that they moved the character forward 19 years into the future, so it's set in 1947. So he... 1957, sorry, 1957. I'm going to come back to the 47 incident in a second. So they moved the character forward 19 years into the future, and Harrison Ford was roughly the actual age of Indiana Jones in the movie itself. So yeah, Indiana Jones in this movie was 58 years old, which brings me into one of the biggest issues I actually had with it. He goes on to like, and it, it felt like it was like a 20-minute fight scene yes. with, with this early 20s large russian military fighter and they're in a fist fight and this dude just pounds the crap out of him. i mean the body shots alone would have knocked out somebody young and in shape oh yeah and just man, he he would have killed this old guy over and over and over like five times over again in this fight but somehow not only did he stay alive but he ends up winning it yep and not being crippled for the rest of the movie. Right, right. <laughs> and just shrugs it off and keeps going like nothing happened. Right, which is which is often an action movie trope that you see a lot. But yeah, it was it was very glaring in this movie because it was they couldn't make up their mind 
There were a couple of times where they had him make jokes and show his age, mm-hmm. but it didn't stay consistent with it. They just let him be the general action hero guy again. Right. So I, but I like the fact that they moved the story forward to match his age and how long it had been mm-hmm. since the last Indiana Jones movie was made. They it's, also, it's I interesting. also. Which was interesting. I also like the fact that they brought back Karen Allen, the uh, the woman, the actress who played the female lead in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and also how that helped make sense. The big reveal halfway through the movie is that Shia LaBeouf is actually Henry Jones the third, is actually Indiana Jones's son, and they also made that made that make sense because of the age of the character and how much time had passed, and that Karen Allen from the first movie was his mom. So that actually tied things together. Again, the concept, I'm not saying that the movie did a good job executing it, but on paper, it looked like a good idea because then they were also able to play with the father-son dynamic in The Last Crusade now gets reversed because now Indy's the dad in in his relationship to his son. So again, conceptually better than it was executed. So I liked the idea of what they were trying to do with the movie. And on on those levels, on other go ahead, sorry. All right, so Shia LaMutt, <laughs> his character's name Mutt is Williams. Henry Jones the Third, but he goes by Mutt Williams, but he knows his name is Henry Jones the Third. No, he doesn't know his name is Henry Jones the Third. He thought his name was actually Mutt Williams. Williams, uh, Harriet Mar- Marion Ravenwood changed her name to Williams when she married his dad. Right. Right. So he thought his name was actually well. He knew his name was Henry. He th- he thought it was Henry Williams. He didn't know that. Oh, Indy, that's right. He did say he that didn't at one know point. that uh, Indy was his dad. Gotcha. He thought the Williams guy, the RAF uh, pilot, was actually his dad. But yeah, he decides to go by Mutt, which is an in joke because Indiana took the name of the family dog, so Shia LaBeouf calls himself Mutt. So that's where the joke doesn't work very well. But that's what the is a joke of <laughs> and the character itself i mean shia la greaser <laughs> it is such a caricature again of that type of character that he looks so disinterested in being that character it's just everything about that character fell flat i think he was to me anyway that part of the issue with the movie is again conceptually i think they were trying to accurately represent 1950s mccarthyism in the united states Mm. the whole red scare and people getting accused of being a communist and that ending people's careers and stuff because that happens to indy in the early part of the movie when we find out that mac is a a soviet spy so and they work together during world war ii and even though indy and it's revealed that indy worked for oss so that basically indy was a spy for the allies during world war ii and so but then the whole idea that even if you were, were patriotic and had a great war service record if someone accuses you of being a, a commie you're out yeah i i did really like the one line though he's like why don't you join us he goes i like ike <laughs> right <laughs> so they had stuff like that and again in this case the soviet era russians replaced the nazis because that's like the other period piece easy bad guy mm-hmm. like if you, if you have nazis and you're back in that time no one's going to complain about nazis being a bad guy Cold War era, Soviet era Russians, they, they're basically the updated Nazis, so they can become the new bad guys. So they tried to do some of the things with that 1950s stuff, and that's where I think maybe the Mutt Williams character was trying to portray, oh, I again, got that. on paper, yeah. the disinterested youth of that era, but I just it just didn't really work. It fell flat, like no. you said. Yeah, and the disinterested, I, I felt more like it was Shia LaBeouf actor... Not wanting to 
play that character. That was the disinterest I felt. Like, okay, I, I could see what the character was written as, but I just didn't think he cared at all about being kind of like the last couple Transformers movies he was in. But yeah. he just didn't seem like he cared at all about being in it anymore. He and very I keep much... mocking his name because I can't actually say it right. So that's why. <laughs> Shia LaBaobao, um, Shia LaBeouf, he did become, he was he was one of those kids, he was a child actor, and as he grew up and became a young adult, he brought that sort of like, yeah, I'm just collecting a paycheck, I don't really give a fuck about Hollywood anymore, into a lot of his later movies, which is probably why you don't see him around Hollywood very much anymore. Oh yeah, you do. He's <laughs> oh, really? in stuff. Yeah, but that's the thing, is he's really, really good in small independent movies that he's interested in making. Ah, okay. But if it's like a big movie for a paycheck, he's like, yeah, alright, I'll be in it, but eh. I'm going to half-ass it because I don't care. He, it's almost like he doesn't understand the concept of how to act in a large movie. He understands uh, a small independent movie, but he doesn't know how to, to do the big stuff. I could see that. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't like his character very much, but it, his character doesn't ruin the movie for me. But it's like, again, conceptually on paper. And so I like the fact, not to jump ahead, but initially George Lucas was going to try to do a spin-off series of movies where he would actually take over essentially the Indiana Jones character. Which they kind of allude to and mock at the end of the movie when, yes. when the hat blows to his feet and he picks it up and then nope. Harrison Ford takes it from him and puts it on his own hat. I'm like, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> it was stupid, but I liked it because of that. Because even though at that time that they did that, they were thinking that he would take over, Shia LaBeouf mm -hmm. would take over. But that was sort of a nod of like, no, you don't, kid. That that little inside joke of, no, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. You can be Mutt Williams. Right. And then they decided after a few years later that they scrapped that idea. And even in the new Indiana Jones movie that's coming out in 2021, uh, Shia LaBeouf will not be in the movie. Correct. Yeah. But so, they, they are kind of playing with maybe passing the torch to another person to keep the franchise going, but not as Indiana Jones. Correct. Which I like the idea of possibly handing it to Short Round. That would be nice. Yes. That would be, be that, would, that would come back around quite nicely. Although, yeah. Time frame of it. Would he be too old for it at the time? I don't know. I guess, upon, I guess it depends upon what would, year they Would they them. try to get that same actor? Is he still around? I don't know. That would be tough. I mean, I, I feel like I should have looked this up ahead of time. <laughs> but yeah, that's that. We're we'll, we'll jumping ahead. We'll, we can talk about that later. Let's get back to the All right, back to the beginning. <laughs> so they're trying to find this artifact, which is the mummified alien, and they're using magnetics to well, find it, which apparently this thing that this warehouse full of things that are probably metal in these things aren't being affected by it at all but suddenly they get near it and everything metal gets attracted to it except for the guns the guns apparently are the plastic guns that they use to, to keep magneto in line because they're not affected by it at all but everything else seems to be as long as whatever it is decides that it's gonna attract it well not only that but the the magnetic pull of this thing is so strong that if you just throw the metal pellets from the gunpowder up into the air from a great distance it pulls them towards it mm -hmm. so why wouldn't it like forklifts and stuff like that mm -hmm. all be like stuck to the thing or the lights which <laughs> the lights, once they open point, it up they pull but before that that was fine 
the only thing that was cool about the light thing, it was like a nice thing. It was like they're just adjusting the lighting on the set so that you can see what's happening. But they were able to make it be, hey, it's the it's the uh, magnetism that's pulling the lights in. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that that if that magnetic field was that strong, it the whole like warehouse should have like collapsed <laughs> itself or something. And then there was another part <laughs> oh, again. This kind of started so the escape scene on that. They they kind of do that for like you were saying, joking about the being old. We're like. He whips something and swings to try to land in the truck, and then he misses, and he goes backwards and lands in the truck behind him. He's like, I thought that would that was closer. Exactly. And then they immediately switch to, nope, I'll just be a badass and start kicking everybody's butt. So yeah, and for one- throw everybody out of a truck and take the truck like he does in every other movie. Mm-hmm. But then he takes the truck, and then he drives through a bunch of the boxes, and then they splinter apart because apparently they had nothing in them. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that don't. I, I like the the things I like about the warehouse scene or parts of the movie is the callbacks. The first callback is the warehouse itself. Hey, it's the warehouse where they put the Ark from the, at the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that was cool. And then they went even had we even see the Ark at one point, like one of the, the boxes that they hit with a truck. Mm-hmm. The corner of it breaks off. And then you can see that the Ark of the Covenant is inside. Yeah, you see like a quarter of the Ark sticking out. So they had those for, so those aspects of the callbacks and that uh, I like from the warehouse scene. There were other also callbacks throughout the movie, like later when they see pictures of both Marcus and Henry Sr. So the, the actors that played Marcus Brody and then Sean Connery, they're dead in this movie that they mm-hmm. had passed away. So we see their pictures. We also see a... A statue, a, bu- a statue on the campus of Marcus. That's a call with the back. stupid look on his face. The stupid look on his face. <laughs> they even redo the the plane map thing, drawing the lines to show that they're traveling around the world. Thing. There's even some callbacks to like the Temple of Doom bug scene, and even go reaching in and grabbing a lever. Mm-hmm. So there's there's callbacks to actually all of of the previous movies throughout it that were. Where it's right. almost like he's bored doing it because it's the same thing every time. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is what you do. Relax. I do like the the line that Shia makes makes is like, "What kind of teacher are you?" <laughs> Part time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good. yeah. So some of the stuff was well was well executed, even though if the entire movie was just a little bit off. I mean, again, there's hyperbolic things surviving an atomic blast inside of a lead line refrigerator. Okay. Okay. Lead line <laughs> refrigerator surviving the atomic. Okay. Except for the fact that it would pull all the oxygen out of the area and you wouldn't be able to breathe. But that got thrown up because, oh, the atomic blasts through just this one refrigerator in this one house of the entire town that had been built a couple of miles away and lands and rolls. But he's fine because he was protected inside this refrigerator because physics. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that was just an over-the-top silliness of that whole... But again, as a kid, awesome. Oh yeah, again, yes. Like Wiley E. Coyote, Acme, cartoonish level of silliness with that. But it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even like later when they're interrogating him, it's like, what am I guilty of other than surviving an atomic blast? <laughs> right? <laughs> and that was also the part where there was the other illusion when I said 1947 earlier. Like in that scene, he talked about... What do you know? What did you see? He's like, well, yeah, I remember 10 years ago, which 1947 was when the real world, it wasn't real, but the Roswell incident in New Mexico where an alien spaceship allegedly Was crashed. it real, though? Exactly. But that's what they were making fun of or, or alluding to, that it was a Roswell Gray in that, and then he had been called in 10 years ago to investigate it and blah, blah, blah. So 
that was also part of establishing the alien angle, even if you didn't get a good a good look at the alien corpse that they took the skull out of that was in that thing in the warehouse. That scene was also to give you a little bit more of the Roswell 1947, it's an alien thing. Because they would take the mummified alien from Roswell and just stick it in a warehouse. Yes, with all of the other things that were in that warehouse, too. So, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> in an easy-to-find base. Yeah, that didn't seem to be well-protected at all. And it was conveniently too close to an atomic blast test zone. Yeah. <laughs> that the Russians were killed like four people, and then they had full free reign of the entire base. Yes, apparently those guys at the security desk were the only people there. Yeah, again, don't think about it too much. These movies are not meant to be thought about too much. Yeah, we need to hurry up and finish. My head's really starting to hurt. <laughs> like, on, I had written down, like, on the surface of... On the surface, the story of this movie is quite silly, uh, and we can get into it in a second, but there is actually a speech. <laughs> I refer to her character as Hella, even though that's not the character's name in the movie, but... Bond villain Russian. Bond villain woman. Russian girl, uh, the doctor that is played by... Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, and I call her Hella because I was just thinking of Thor Ragnarok, but she actually gives a speech talking about how the Russians are interested in mind control. And that's apparently why they want the crystal skull. The speech that she gives is actually historically accurate in terms of both the U.S. and Russian military were very interested in mind control. Obviously, it wasn't coming from aliens. They had other programs. Like if you've ever seen the movie Men Who Stare at Goats, they have other programs where they were trying to do mind control. It just had nothing to do with alien artifacts. Mm -hmm. But her her speech is actually a pretty good one because she talks about like if they were able to do mind control what they could do with it and how they right. could take over. That was actually pretty well, a good dramatic setup for what was a rather silly story. Historically speaking, too, she also gave another quick little interesting speech about how U.S. was actually the villains. Yes. That, yeah. Yeah, about how the world will see us as the heroes that we really are. So, yeah, she she there is, I mean, the Cold War is sort of the backdrop that they don't spend a lot of time on. So, again, the concept, again, of the movie was better than the movie's execution. So, and she also makes a very good, like you said, she's a she's more of a Bond villain than anything else, but she's a very good bad guy. She actually yeah, she, makes a very interesting villain in this movie. And again, kind of like in Last Crusade, she actually cares about the artifact and she's, yes, this, this one, she does have nefarious plans at the end of it, but like she says at the very end, she's like, I just want the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Just give me all the knowledge until her head explodes. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers. <sighs> so for me, um, I know you had mocked the alien thing before, before you remembered that it uh, was more prevalent throughout the entire plot. But other people have also made fun of that. For me, it's like the alien thing is not any more far-fetched than the religious mystical basis of the previous three movies. <laughs> I would almost say it's less far-fetched. Yeah, again, arguably less far-fetched. So if, if it being... Because they even say it's not even... They weren't even really aliens. They were interdimensional, interdimensional beings. beings. Like I even, Yeah, I like that fact that they weren't space aliens. They were interdimensional beings. But for me, it's like, I'm a big fan of science fiction. So it's like, you know what? Science fiction yeah. versus religious mystical fiction, not really that big of a difference. So the fact that it was... And maybe the fact that they found a way to come up with not just go after some other religious artifact, give it something else to do. Plus the whole the crystal skull thing. They made allusions to the actual crystal skull, the hoax thing that I mentioned earlier. So there was an archaeological hoax around the crystal skull 
And some of the people behind that actually did try to perpetuate the hoax that it was an alien skull. So it's not like completely like out of left field. So that's why I was like, it's not that silly. So I I liked it. Again, it wasn't great, but it, it appealed to the science fiction fan. I also me. really liked the the line at the end where where they're like, oh, where did they go to space? And he goes, no, they went to the space between spaces. Exactly, the world between worlds. Star Wars? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not everything is Star Wars, Jim. As we are sitting here recording, both wearing Star Wars t-shirts. <laughs> Never mind that. <laughs> Never mind that most of our episodes revolve around Star Wars. <laughs> so there are some impressive, uh, as, as with all of the movies, there are some impressive fights and stunts and effects. Some of them are a little bit better, but again, it's a cheat because, not a cheat, but because this movie was made in 2008, it's obviously more advanced movie making technology than the other three movies. But somehow it's still just as stupid. It's still just as stupid, but the stupid looks a little bit better. <laughs> I mean, like half the movie is, again, a car chase scene where I made the joke watching. I'm like, oh, look, the cars look like boats. How much you want to bet they go into the water eventually? And then there's that stupid sword fight scene where they're both on, standing on cars having a sword fight. And then he gets thrown and then becomes Tarzan. I called it George of the Jungle. I yeah. called it Shia of Tarzan. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the sword fight scene again, stupid, but it was actually kind of funny to me. But I enjoyed I mean, yeah, it. Yeah, it was entertaining. <laughs> it, it was, was entertaining, funny, but... but completely ridiculous and unrealistic. But yeah, the, the George of the Jungle Tarzan scene where he gets swings on the vines with the monkeys to catch up with them after he gets thrown from it. It's like. Wow, that was really stupid. Which apparently connects the monkeys enough that they help him later. And yeah. But the, the thing that actually really bothered me about the sword fight thing was actually the fact that they're off road. Mm -hmm. But somehow they're driving steady enough that he's able to hold like stand on. <laughs> <sighs> At least make it bumpy for him. Yes, exactly. I mean, it was only a couple of times where they lost their balance and almost fell off. But yeah, the whole thing was just silly in that regard. And then the transferring from road to water, as I yes. knew that they were going to, because like, apparently they find the rubberiest tree ever that can bend over <laughs> and gently place them into the water and then swat the other people. Well, the first off, the fact that they were they were riding in duck boats, which is what those boats are called, which amused me because in Boston, where I grew up, there are actually tours duck tours in boston where they have those boats so that you can go into the charles river so you drive as you drive around boston this sightsee and then they take it into the water and you go along the charles river so it's very scenic but those are i i knew those are a thing thing but, but yeah the fact that they were in there just so they could do the scene of let's have it jump off the cliff and the fact that Miriam's like oh don't worry and they're all like what are you doing you're driving off a cliff oh it's okay don't worry and she just drives off the cliff and like you say the most convenient, most rubbery tree in the world catches them and then gently puts them down on the water. It's like, well, that's that's convenient. And there's no catapult, like just slowly goes down and then stops. And then she just drives off of the tree into the water. As, instead of them being like catapulted back right. up or something. <laughs> there's no bouncing at the end of her. Anything. It's just a real slow like, oh, here's the water. You want to drive off into that? Go ahead. And then fly back up and smack everybody. And then after that, if that wasn't bad enough, driving off the cliff into the river, let's not go off of one. No, not even two. No, let's drive over 
three waterfalls. And everybody's okay. <laughs> Just fine. Everybody's... They don't even fall off of the boat until the last one. Yeah, a couple of times they, they fall out and then they scramble back in, but no one yet sustains any type of injuries. The other thing that I found funny watching it is like the, the windshield had been shot out and was all like jagged glass. But, like, no one, like, got impaled onto right. the glass or anything. None of that glass came up into their faces, <laughs> their faces or, anything. or anything. Yeah, they sustained no even minor injuries whatsoever from going over three waterfalls. <laughs> 2008, <laughs> people. This movie was made in 2008. <laughs> but, again, it's in a world or a universe where physics apparently does not exist. You know what? This actually, this movie, uh, again, on second viewing of all these, I'm like, okay. So this is a movie where somebody had mastered interdimensional travel. So that concretes that this is just a different universe where physics don't matter. Yes. Yep. I concur. Physics. <laughs> and then since I are, I won't let it go, since we're, again, we're wearing our Star Wars shorts, I laughed. There was a great Star Wars joke in this movie where at one point when they figure out that they're battling space guys, interdimensional aliens, and they're standing there. Han Solo, I mean, Indiana Jones says, I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> I've got a bad feeling about this. Mm -hmm. So just in case we weren't already aware that, hey, he's also Han Solo. <laughs> and it's the same people who made the Star Wars movies. Let's make him make an explicit Star Wars joke, which I thought was I still thought it was funny. Yep. Actually, I, I, I laughed at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really don't have much else to say about this movie, to be honest with you. That, yeah, that, there mean, really they, wasn't much to the movie. There really wasn't much to the movie. It was more of a nice sentimental callback to the other movies. The end of the movie, again, from a cinematography standpoint, again, because the movie-making technology of 2008, they were able to make the interdimensional beings scene. It didn't look stupid. It was still just, you know, okay, yeah, that's just... Throw, let's throw some CGI stuff in there because we can now this time through. So that whole sequence wasn't bad. And somehow all of the crystal skeletons came together to form an alive alien. Across all of the... That just like scowled? Yes. Because things that make sense happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. So I did like the end of this movie, how it ends with the the wedding scene. So you know, Indy becoming the associate dean of the university. So he's back. You know, he's proven not to be a commie, so he can go back, and he's now the associate dean, and he gets married. And again, like we already said, the uh, the hat scene, where no, you're not going to be the next Indiana Jones, even though that was the original plan. But a few years later, they decided, nope, that's not going to happen. So that was The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Again, a flawed but occasionally enjoyable movie. Not going to lie. On my notes, I called it Kingdom of the Crystal Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like we said off the top, for me, Last Crusade's the best, followed by Raiders of the Lost Ark, followed by Crystal Skull, followed at the end by Temple of Doom. I would... As, as far as quality of storytelling and movies go, I would swap Crystal Skull and Doom. But I will say Crystal Skull wasn't as bad as I'd initially thought upon further watching. But it was still... I think in all the movies are very... The whole time just, really? Really? That's what they're doing with that? You really got to shut off your brain and not think about it. They're, they're fun action movies. Uh, again, I, I think they're for kids more. 
we kind of had a discussion on how some of the things might be a little too scary for kids, but kids aren't as weak as we think they are. Yeah. They, they can take it. You know, maybe some small percentage of the kids might have some nightmares or something on some of the imagery, but they can take it. They'll be fine. These are fun kids' movies. Yeah, they are enjoyable films. Again, they're not great. The storytelling isn't great. Some of the material, again, doesn't hold up well because of the earlier films when they were made. But overall, this is a very rewatchable franchise for me. I enjoy, like I said, I enjoy all four films. But if I really need a Indiana Jones fix, I'll just watch The Last Crusade. Fair enough. Do you have a metaphorical rating? I'm going to give this an Indiana Brones. Indiana Brones? <laughs> this is very much a bro movie to me, I think. The bro, bro, series. bro movies? Yeah. Yeah, it is very masculine. And very... It, yeah, it's masculine heavy. It's just action scene after. I mean, pretty much it's three movies of Fast and the Furious. Without being that fast, it's all just like vehicle chase scenes through most of the movies. I yeah. mean, they even use mine carts as vehicles <laughs> in a chase scene. <laughs> I, I don't like that comparison because I'm not a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise. Me either. I hate those movies. <laughs> I hate those movies as well. But yeah, again, they get maybe a pass for me because of the nostalgia, because of how old I was when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And so. And that's how I feel about. Doom. <laughs> I can't say it just normally. <laughs> so I'll always appreciate Indiana Jones, and I am looking forward to the next movie. I I know nothing about the next movie. It's gonna well, originally it was gonna come out in twenty twenty one. Who knows? That could be delayed with all of the things happening in the world now. But uh, only thing I've heard is that it is going to follow up the events of Crystal Skull. So it's not gonna be. They've made a point of saying it's not a reboot. And right. not starting over. It's a continuation of the same story. And it's still Harrison Ford it's playing Indiana Jones. still Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones. But I, I think the only thing I really know about it is that Harrison Ford has actually been quoted as saying, I am Indiana Jones. Nobody else is playing that character but me. Whereas he has let other people play on Solo. Yes. So that kind of shows his connection there. That he has more ownership and maybe more affinity for this franchise mm-hmm. than he did. And the fact that he was willing... And this was... I mean... They've actually been trying to make a fifth movie for a while, and it hasn't been because he didn't want to make it. It's like, if you have a good enough script, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come back and do it. So it's not like he he was, as we've talked about before, because we can't stop talking about Star Wars, he was done with Star Wars and didn't want to come back. Right. But he always wants to do another Indiana Jones movie, as long as a good enough story. Yeah, he hates space magic, but if it's <laughs> other magic, he's fine. <laughs> If it's interdimensional magic, it's fine. <laughs> or whip magic. <laughs> as long as he can whip it. Whip, whip it, it good. good. And we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.